Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 8-25-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have together. We appreciate the opportunity to come together in a forum such as we have, where we can open uh, your word and, and discuss it without uh, worrying about uh, who's right or wrong. We, we're just so grateful for the humility that exists in this church. Also, Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. Uh, you, you know who is on our hearts. Also, we, we are asking for wisdom as we approach your word and what we say and, and speak uh, openly would be uh, glorifying to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. So our course of study is uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 23 this evening. And hopefully we'll get there. The scripture says, What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? So we'll talk about that uh, a little later, uh, but that's where we are in Romans chapter 9. And uh, it's been pretty good, pretty exciting. Uh, we've covered quite a, a lot of controversial verses uh, that I think people have uh, echoed and uh, said what they thought. So now our voice is out there as well, just in case anybody has question if you agree with what we've what we've uh, done here you can uh, you can share uh, we, we definitely have a point of view that is not common let's put it that way all right so we do have some opportunity for some Q&A and we will open the floor um, for that the, the floor is now open Okay, I think you and I had the, the same question as, as we discussed before the, we opened up the recording here. And let me start by quoting a couple of verses out of um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses um, the 11 through 13. And this is NIV, believe it or not. I have a paper version. All right. It was he who gave... <laughs> yeah. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And the question that we had coming out of that is, what is the standard of measure of maturity? Are we mature, or do we have a while to go? What you know, is um, maturity a, a general reference, or does it mean that there's an understanding that has reached a certain point? Um, I don't know that we can say that we all reach 
in, um, the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, um, because we're, we're still learning the details of even things like Romans 9 and understanding uh, God's sovereignty and how that is distinct from, uh, you know, his, his whole plan for Israel is distinct from uh, salvation. So it's not as people as, uh, referenced it before, but does our knowledge of that lead us to believe that we are mature? Is it, is it even right to think of ourselves as mature or should we remain humble? And is maturity a, a danger point of becoming proud or something? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, thanks for the question. Uh, Fred, did you want to add anything to that? Because I think you covered it pretty well. I think Dwight uh, pretty much covered all the bases, um, um, and you know I like you know a biblical um, a biblical opinion of uh, exactly what he's talking about maturity. All right. Yeah. Well, we definitely have a, a scripture before us, Ephesians chapter four, uh, ten through. 12, but really I would have gone to the next verse, Dwight, because it does make a contrast. So let's just, let me just read it. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Well, we read that one. This is the one, verse 14, that we should read. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So, we can know that uh, there is uh, something here about growth, levels of growth. And we, we, sh we should clearly know that uh, there is a matter of spiritual growth. However, in the verses you presented, it, it is not really a uh, a focus on the individual person's spiritual growth because if you read that carefully it tells you until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature so when it, if, if it's for all of us then the goal can't be attained until all of us have reached it I mean that's pretty much what you have to gain from that from looking at that verse can't just say well that's for me individually well if it's for let's say you have reached a mature status quo in other words before God then we haven't achieved this verse because it says until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ obviously God has given us an overall level of growth for the church that he is expecting that's that's what he's 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 hoping for there at least in that verse but now a couple things to note so so yes people can be mature let's not you know look at maturity as something that's bad it is something that is good and um, we do have that as a goal in the Christian life. This is one verse that talks about mature, being mature. And and obviously you see where what happens if you're not mature, then you're childish, tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. So so maturity does have a place for us 
it's an objective, it's a goal that we want to reach. And how, how can we reach it and how do we know if we have reached it? <laughs> so we should say that. Because if, if you look at, there's other verses I, I could bring in, like the, the verse in um, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 toward the end. It talks about Paul's objective is to make, get everybody to, that I am to present everyone mature, right? And then there's another verse I could think of in Philippians chapter 3 where he says all of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if, if not, God will show you. So there are other verses that we could point to talk about maturity. And the, the, uh, if we're just looking at the objective use of the word and the term, the answer is yes. There are, uh, maturity is a factor. So, so now, I'm going to go back to the Ephesians passage because um, when we think about maturity, the most important verse here to me is verse 12. So those gifts, those communication gifts that are mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, are to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who would lead and guide us all, but he is also, if you go to the beginning of that chapter, he's the one who gives gifts to everyone. Everybody has received uh, grace. This, and he's talking with verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So, so think about it this way. Gifts are given, and the gifts are not all the same. So if, if the pastor-teacher, the communication gifts, are for the equipping of the body, uh, the people who are supposed to get to maturity for works of service, then we just have to conclude that uh, every gift and every uh, person is not going to look the same. It will be easy for us to begin to start judging each other based on what spiritual gifts uh, we could display. And then we can say, oh, well, that person's not mature. They, they don't do the things that I can do, or they don't know the things that I know, or, or, or something. And that would be wrong because everybody's spiritual gift is different. So if everybody's spiritual gift is different, you can't judge people according to some. Uh, particular standard. So what, what am I saying? I'm saying it's wrong to judge people when it comes to maturity. It, it would be wrong to do that. Um, and I would go back to what I would always say. Um, it's, it's a silly analogy, but it fits. Forrest Gump said it. Uh, he said, uh, <laughs> Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> but I'm replacing the word stupid with maturity. Maturity is as maturity does. It is not about beating on your chest talking about you're mature at all. It is about if you're mature, then get busy doing. That's what it is. Get, get busy using your experience to do just what the apostle is saying, whether it's your gifts, 
excelling in your gift or allowing God to use you in, in, in that way, or whether it, it is uh, just like all the scripture says, if you're the women are to help the younger women and, and, and then also to teach and so forth. And so it gives roles for everybody. Whatever your gift is, whatever your circumstance, then you can add God. That Maturity means that God, the Holy Spirit, is able to function in you in such a way as to impact others. And that that's the best way you can think about it because it is not about us. It's about what God is able to do through you. So a level of maturity is not a matter of, uh, like we said, boasting. It is a matter of humility. The measure of uh, humility you have is uh, also uh, a factor in how much God the Holy Spirit can influence you. Because if you're resisting and telling God the Holy Spirit, no, I already know this, or I don't need that, or he's trying to lead you and guide you in all truth, he can't do that, then it's the, the reason is, is because there's no humility. In some way, we're resisting. I would never blame the Holy Spirit and say, well, the Holy Spirit is not doing his job. It's us. It's a lack of humility on our part. And humility can be seen in a lot of different ways. We're not teachable. We're not humble. We're not seeking, diligently seeking God. There's a lot of different ways humility can be expressed. So really the measure of our maturity is also a factor of our humility. So, so what you know of God is only uh, related to what you have had the humility to let God teach you. You know something right now in the Word, and if God has enlightened you, then that's because you have humility in that point at that time. And it, you, it is sustained humility that allows God to continue leading and guiding you so that you grow up. And there is a point where you got the foundation down. You understand the foundation. And, you, and, and there's another thought. Mature people can handle strong meat well let's say solid food however you want to say it they're able to handle to assimilate that and to be able to reason around those things okay i'll hold go ahead yeah i was um kind of waiting for you to bring that up because i was actually looking at those verses in hebrews 5. Mm -hmm. So Hebrews 5 uses uh, maturity in the way you're just explaining there. And I would, I would like to hear more of that. But there is the, you know, the, it's the either-or situation. You need milk versus solid food. So you are unskilled in the word of righteousness and, and versus being skilled in the word of righteousness. So <clears throat> maturity there represents an ability not necessarily a, a point at which you, you know, come to, um, you know, and, you know, you receive your reward now because you are mature. <laughs> yeah, and, um, it, that's right. It's the constant practice, it's the training and discernment 
That's and right. the practice of distinguishing good from evil. Yeah, it is an awareness of of what God's will is for your life, uh, as opposed to a baby who is really struggling with uh, what's next. Right? It, a baby doesn't really know how to live, how to walk. Well, a person who is mature does. And there are steps along the way, right? So we could say stages of spiritual growth. And John talks about little children. He talks about young men. He talks about those who are adults. And there are stages when it comes to spiritual growth. But we don't see any scripture whereby we should claim those particular stages for ourselves. You know, there's another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where it says that we ought to judge nothing before the time. So Paul says, I know my conscience is clear and I'm, I'm, you know, as far as I know, I am straightforward, transparent with God, you know, and all that. He's, say, he's saying straight up, but then he says, uh, but we ought to not judge anything before the time. I should quote that scripture because I'm... When I get too far into paraphrasing, it sounds like I'm saying it. Um, so here he says, uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore... Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And here, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So, un unless you're at the judgment seat of Christ, then nobody knows. <laughs> Paul is like, look, as far as I'm concerned, I I'm, I'm straight up with God. But... I know that that's the judgment seat of Christ is the time when will the hidden motives will be exposed or I will receive my praise from God. So we are not to worry about that. Uh, although there is a scripture in 1 John chapter 4 talks about that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. So what that confidence allows is because we are like him. In other words, we love the Father so much. Right? That love is expressed in our devotion and commitment and growth and spiritual understanding of who the Father is and what are his plans. N knowing that we have that, then, and, and that's our motivation is his motivation. We are like him. He says we can have confidence on the day of judgment. So it is not like, well, I hope I get it. I hope I do. Uh, you'll kind of know where you stand because of the relationship that you have that intensifies with the Father and with the Lord through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, these things are not um, a mystery. So it is the goal in the Christian life. There are levels of growth and whatever gift is happens to be mentioned it's because they needed that gift and Hebrews talks about the fact that there should be teachers uh, the church lacked in that area and this is where they needed uh, they should have excelled and 
and to a certain degree, all of us should understand the gospel and be teachers to the extent that we somebody comes to us and asks, what is the way? Now, we should be able to tell them the way to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But maybe it won't be a full uh, orbed understanding of it, but you should at least be able to be a, a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of Christ. That's our job, to be able to know the gospel and to give it. So that I, whatever gift you have, I think that's, that's the job. And then, as we said, your gifts will be revealed. And a lot of what we say and think about when it comes to this, remember, it is not just what impact we have on earth because our struggle is also with uh, not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and so forth so we can't really tell what impact we have just because uh, you know we're judging that we don't we can't see everything there's like a whole world of spiritual beings out there that we're supposed to be wrestling with and how do we know whether we are prevailing or not? So we can't just know everything. Uh, so there is a matter of stay humble. Right? That, that is probably the best policy because that's going to keep you hungry and learning more and continuing to want to know more. I'll pause. And I appreciate that. I, I think uh, that covers it. Yes, it looks like you uh, covered all the uh, facets, uh, including the spiritual gifts, um, which everybody has different spiritual gifts. So um, their, Im their impact uh, could be different, um, all dependent on what your gift is. They may vary from one person to another. So um, now that you mentioned spiritual gifts, I just um, is this the spirit your spiritual gift which was given to you uh, when you received salvation and the spirit? Um, how does one go about? Is it how does one go about identifying exactly what that spiritual gift is for each individual person? Well, that's a good question. And there's a test right online you could take. And by the, you answer, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, when it comes to spiritual gifts. <laughs> I knew that was a joke. <laughs> so, spirit, actually, there are, uh, Hello? Oh, okay. That was good. Okay. Yeah, but but there are tests online. I don't recommend you take them. Um, but um, and those tests cannot reveal what spiritual gift you have. It just listen. People are looking at what they do best, right? You might as well say what job should you have because those tests are you good at this? Are you good at that? Are you good at this? And they say, oh, then you should be this. Well, that's just based on your skills. Remember, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that are given, are abilities. 
that you didn't have, that you don't possess. So, now does that set the record straight or clear the, uh, the board? Because you can't depend on what your talents are. And it's very typical, you know. Uh, per, a person who's in finance, they'll say, oh, you, you, you got away with, with uh, you know, handling finances. You should be the treasurer. Oh, you got away with this, so you should be this. Well, you know, all those things are what we have decided people should be. And really, people's gifts can only be manifested as um, they learn and grow in grace. Now, it can't be that, you know, it, it could be just like little kids talking to one another saying, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Another kid says, I don't know. What do you want to be? I think I'd like to be a fireman. A third kid says. Another one says, well, I want to be a policeman. Or That's the conversation. So what has to happen for those kids to attain those goals? They have to grow up. And many times after they grow up, they realize, you know, I'm not interested in, in that at all. And so, so it is with the spiritual life. You don't know what gift you have. And then keep in mind, some gifts are not readily seen. They are not manifest. So that doesn't mean that that person doesn't have any impact in the body. Yes, they do. However, their gifts are not manifested. And that's all you know, told, us, told to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says you... Some gifts you can't really see the impact of them. They're not speaking or, you know, some other gift. Uh, they're apostles and all kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gave. But some gifts are not seen. Right? You, you, they don't manifest themselves in terms of outward appearance. But they have inward impact. They have stability impact, foundational impact for the body. And God uses those gifts just as he uses the other gifts. And the story in 1 Corinthians 12 is make sure we don't devalue some gifts and value other gifts. Um, you know, all gifts are equal in terms of what they provide for the body. It is not an individual effort. Or, you know, it's a team sport, as you, we might say. So it's not even a matter of trying to identify your gift all you have to do is allow the spirit to continue to lead you and guide you and he will he will uh, our, the impact is not us anyway it is through us so anything that happens it's whether it's conscious or unconscious um, we will just have that ability and it'll be God the Holy Spirit who provides that for us not us. I like the analogy we used to use with the vine and the branches. We, Christ is the vine, we are the branches. Well, where's the fruit? Well, the fruit comes through the branch. It is not, the fruit is not the branch. It is clearly not the branch. It is, it comes through the branch, but it is not the branch. Let's just say that again. So, um, hopefully that that's how we want to look at spiritual gifts and keep our eyes on the goal, which is to grow up in him and, and to con continue the fellowship. Right? That's the quality 
that we can enjoy is the fellowship with the Father and with the Son that John was talking about. Those things are real, and they translate into uh, experience with God. This is when we talk about, okay, you know, God is good. Like, like Hebrews said, uh, you have tasted and you have seen that God is good, and, and you have all this. This is true, right? God has the reward of experience, and experience is with him. God does reward those who diligently seek him. And not only are rewards coming at the judgment seat of Christ, but there are battlefield rewards that come through our knowledge and experience with him. So those those are real things. They're not just, well, I just say I have joy and and I, you know, because the Bible says I'm supposed to have it. No, you will literally have joy when you know you're walking uh, in truth and and even though the world is, is coming against you, you will the joy that will well up inside you and you know you're doing God's will and you know you're walking according to truth, uh, there is a joy that is associated with that. So there are rewards along the way God gives us. Uh, he doesn't just say, I'm, I'm going to be distant from them and not reveal myself to them at all. The, the more you the diligently seek God, the more God reveals himself to you. So, so ex- have that expectation as you diligently seek him. I'll pause. Yes, uh, thank you for that clarification. Um, as you pointed out, in, uh, I'm looking at First Colossians, I mean, First Corinthians, uh, verse uh, chapter 12, verse 4, says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Mm-hmm. There are different kinds of work, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, That's right. uh, you're, I think everything what you said is right on. Yeah, there's also, if you read down even further to verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would for that reason not stop, uh, reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So when you think about, that's what I'm saying. Some of the parts are not visible, are not uh, prominent, but it does not mean, even in the slightest way, that those parts are not important. And and so we, we want to make sure we understand that uh, so we don't go judging everybody. So some people will start realizing that they have a gift for a certain uh, particular thing. And then as uh, soon as they f- start excelling in that ability, guess what happens? They start judging other people. They start looking around at other people and saying, why aren't other people doing this? 
I mean, I, I'm maybe I better tell everybody else that they need to be doing this because this is this they ought to be doing it, right? And that's wrong because uh, but just because that's your gift does not mean everybody else should have the same abilities that you have. And lastly, I just want to say we have to learn to depend on one another. Uh, just like God has given you a gift, God has given your brother or sister a gift. And you have to learn to depend because God-given gifts, remember, for the common good. It's not just for you to, you know, well, I got that gift. I'm sure I sure am doing good. No, uh, that's verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Right? It's, um, and then there's the Peter. There's, I think it's first Peter. You're really getting testing my memory here. Um, first Peter chapter four, it, there's another verse, I believe it's, yes, yeah, verse 10. Well, we could go, we can go to eight through, through 11 or so. So first Peter four, eight says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift he, uh, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all his forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power and the power forever and ever. Amen. So, when you think about spiritual gifts, there is a humbling that is right in those passages that helps us understand it's really not us. It's right. And, and if you do have some ability, how do you use it? To serve others, right? To help others. Uh, allow that gift to manifest and be what it is. So, I will pause other thoughts before we head to Romans? Thank you. Thank you for that. That was pretty thorough. Thank you for the question. I appreciate that. I'm glad to, to be able to talk about spiritual gifts. All right. So Romans 9, we have notes. If you would locate them, I will. we will start our focus on Romans chapter 9 and I'm pulling mine up as we speak so Romans 9 23 what if what if now with these are two what if verses that we had last week we had one uh, and 22 what if God although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. We talked about that last week. And then in this verse it says, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? So uh, actually he's explaining what um, his actions were. In fact, he even gave some some context to what he said, and it fit perfectly with what happened with Pharaoh. 
So we're going to go through the notes here. In, the, in your notes, if God flexes his muscles, it is not for him to see in the mirror. It is for us to see. We have the freedom to see this any way we want, but God is asserting his right to do what he wants righteously. Since God is good, we can know that his purposes will never cause harm. But he is righteously vying for good that he is essentially. Once we see his logic, we can relax and allow his way. We cannot fight against it, and if we do, it will not hinder it. Apparently, these first century Jews could not abide with God's choices. Can you relax in the arms of God's will, is the question. So, as we look at this verse, um, you know, the theme that we have been covering, I think, is clear. And we will continue with, with that contextual thought of God's sovereignty. The fact that God, <laughs> and let me just assert this, that God is an individual. If we're individuals and we're made in his image, they are individuals. Right? God, that part of us, of, of who we are as human beings, the individuality, the camaraderie, the rapport that we can have with one another, the spontaneousness of our um, how we learn or, or talk to one another, uh, it, I think that is a part of our nature and our will. And, and I, I think that is also a part of who God is. Notice I'm not, also, I'm not talking about human attributes. I'm talking about these are attributes that we have that I think God also has uh, that relate to the image of God. Now, I know people have pets and so forth, right? And there's a good example. And, and the pets are very loyal, some of them. I don't know about cats. Well, if you have a cat, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but... but uh, I, I think that for the most part pets are loyal and they act according to their nature if it's you know how they respond but you can't really relate to that pet person to person I mean it's it's just even though you can find oh the pet is happy when you come home and jumping up and down or whatever it's still it's limitations to the fellowship that you can have with that pet now, God made us in his own image, partly because of the fellowship that, you know, we are as people are able to interact with the persons of God. We are the same kinds of persons. So this creates uh, an affinity for fellowship. That's what we have with God. And... God, literally, we can interact on a level that no other creature is able to do, whether they're angel or animal. They, they, can't, they cannot interact on the level of fellowship that we do. So God is able to reason with us and to talk to us and to show his why he did something. And, and we are a, we're supposed to look at that and say, yeah, I can certainly reason and understand why God did that and why he said that and what he means and what he wants from us and, 
and then we have wants and desires that we have from God. He takes those. He hears our prayers. And he, you know, God is interactive with us. And that, that's what we need when it comes to relationship, special relationship with God. So he's been doing this throughout Romans 9. Well, he's been doing it all throughout Romans. Uh, some of the context has changed. But now, he's been declaring that he's sovereign. And he's saying, I'm an individual, just like you. I can make choices. And I used to always use the example, just look down at yourself. I hope you have clothes on right now. You picked that shirt or pants or dress or whatever you got on. You chose to wear that. Nobody forced you to wear it. Now, of course, you could be in prison, and they may have forced you to wear a certain garb. But I'm saying, generally speaking, you have a choice in what you do and how you want to think and the choices that you want to make. I mean, those are critical things about our individuality. Right? And, and, and this allows for God to interact with us on a level that no other creature can experience. So God is saying this to us. I mean, he's giving us an open into his person. And no other, no other creature has this. But guess what? Through our interactions and God's transparency with us, guess what other creatures are able to do? See more of who this God is that they serve, who is the very source of life for them as well. So it, it, is, it opens up, not just like it's Christ is the image of the invisible God. Well, he's what we can see, uh, and God has approved that this person properly represents who I am, God is saying. You can't see me, but that person right there represents exactly who I am. If you just come to know him, then you'll be knowing me. That's, that's the thought. So the fact that he's reasoning in these verses, I'm hoping that you just stop and look at the individuality of God, the personhood of God. And why should we have to do that? Because some people look at God as just a benefactor. Just like in Islam, when they're praising God, they talk about the beneficent. He benefits us, right? They see God as only existing to bless them or to, to benefit them. Christians have brought that into the Christian way of life. It's not about God at all. It's not about his plan. It's about blessing me, what was good for me. And so, uh, obviously, uh, that doesn't fit. God is literally telling us in Romans 9, I'm a person too. I have rights as a person. And I have privileges as a sovereign person. I can get to do things. I'm the one who designed this creation, God is saying. I'm the one who said that the sky is going to be blue. Not much you can do to change that. I don't care if you don't like it. God says, I'm making decisions that you obviously don't have the opportunity to make. Or 
it is really not in your lane to make. So, so God is, not only does he not have to defend himself, but the fact that he does shows us who we're dealing with. And this, to me, is valuable information to consider. We're talking about the character of God. What is he like? I don't mean what kind of socks does he wear. I'm talking about what is he essentially like. And ultimately, when we come together, all the physical attributes that we have aren't really important. God doesn't care about what you look like. You don't care if you're pretty or ugly or handsome or in, in human terms. He really doesn't. He is only concerned with what's in your heart. And then when you see the interaction and all of that, it's just, to me, remarkable that we have a God who is this good, this earnest in showing himself to us, declaring who he is. And sure, guess what happens when, when he does that? People don't like it. Some people don't like it. Some people do. Some people don't care. But God has put himself out there. He has. So let's get into these notes and let's just see what what is brought forward. Okay, the first, what if he did this? So he did this. You could take the what off of this, really, because he did. The, the reasoning he's given in, in these two verses are, are really the, the reasoning of what he did. And so we could say, what if he did this? And then the next verse, what if, well, what if God did this? Well, he's saying, think about this with me. That's what he's saying. Reason with me. That's why he's putting it out in this manner. So that you can see that he's open to reasoning. And he's, not only is he uh, declaring what he did, but he's defending it as well. He doesn't have to defend anything. This is the, the God who created all things. He doesn't have to defend anything. If if he was, all, if he is, and he is all powerful, he could wipe your memory right now. You wouldn't even have a thought left. And and then he says he could say, "Well, I'm going to fill that person's memory with what I want it to be." He can manipulate you if he wanted to, but he he's not that kind of God, at all. I'm so glad when we talk about his righteousness, his standards, that he would never do such a thing. He's not maniacal or manipulative. He, he is good and righteous and holy and pure and just. All of those things help us to not only understand who he is, but to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in those attributes as well. So he wants us to think. This now, here in Isaiah 118, he says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be, we read this last week. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so what he's saying, he's reasoning with a person around salvation. That's interesting to me. That he's reasoning not about uh, you know, the eternal purpose of God. Why? Because the eternal purpose of God wasn't revealed in Isaiah. But what is he reasoning with Israel about? He's reasoning with them about salvation. But our verse, 
I don't want to mistake it. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about his eternal purpose and his right to be able to do it the way he wanted to do it. So, point B. My guess is, if you only see God's entire uh, purpose as a salvation work, then you haven't given much thought to an eternal purpose as the next step. So God does need to save you, yes. That is important. I'm not taking that away. But if that's all you see of God, that he's here to save you, you're, you're lost and you need saving. You know, before you were even lost, God chose you before creation of the world. Before you were even lost, God did that. Before Adam sinned, God chose you before the creation of the world. So, obviously, God's purpose is not just to save people. It is this purpose. I like what Romans says. In this hope, we were saved. In other words, what comes first? Uh, salvation? Yes, but even though we had to be saved, this hope that we have, talking about the sons and uh, we received the first fruits of the spirit and you know we have this we, we've been predestined and all this that's the hope that he's talking about wherein we are saved oh, so this to me is is an important thought right because this is where a lot of uh ministries and people who are out there talking you know, they got a lot to say about Romans and other verses, but as far as they can see, salvation is God's entire purpose. As far as their goal in life, and guess what it is? If I could just make it in, if I could just get through those pearly gates, when salvation is free, it doesn't cost anything. God is not charging you. He's not telling you there's effort involved on your part for salvation at all. So it's the whole life, your life is not meant to be uh, in pursuit of salvation. It's like being born and you're questioning your own existence. You say, I don't know if I'm really here. I better, how, how can I check whether I'm here or not? I've been born, that's how I know. Uh, we, we, we were saying this the other day, if you look around out, outside your window or wherever you're looking, and you see somebody, guess what you can know? That person was born. You can know that. But what if they said, well, I don't believe it. <laughs> well, I believe it, and I know it. It's not even a matter of belief. It's a matter of fact that you were born into this world, even if you don't believe it. So, point C we must move on, but, but don't forget that point because when you run into people and all they have is salvation in mind, they can't go to the next level. They can't go to the next step, which is, well, what is God's eternal purpose? Now, some people have. We'll get to point C, don't worry. Some people have said, okay, salvation is free, is all that, yes. And then they start talking about, well, what is... Uh, the Christian way of life. What next? What are we supposed to do now? And they just, at that point, that's where they fumble the ball. 
Now, this is not everybody. I'm saying some ministries out there. And this is why they end up having still salvation as their number one goal because they can't clearly define the, the new way of life. So what do they do since they, they can't clearly define it? They go back to Israel. And they said, well, we must have to pick up some of the principles, laws that Israel had to govern what our lives are today. That's how they have mixed in. And it depends on what they have picked up. Some it says, oh, you know, we got to do Sabbath observance. Oh, well, we got to, oh, you know, the, you know, only the ceremonial law was done away, not the whole law. And, only, you know, they, they pick and choose about what in the Old Testament they want to adopt. And we are not Israel. We have a new life. And they have not allowed God to reveal himself in that manner. Okay. Did we ever get to point C? No. No, we didn't. Point C. From, from the first, what if God, to this one, right? Because remember, both verses 22 and 23 start off with what if, what if. Right? To this one, God is building an argument to show the objective for his actions. And I say transparency with God. I mean, imagine that. We have that. God did not reveal himself. I think I brought out in the last time, and we read the 1 Corinthians 16 verse, uh, one, uh, 2.16, where it says, uh, Who has known the mind of the Lord that they may uh, counsel or instruct him? And we went back to Isaiah and saw where that passage was, where Paul picked up that, <laughs> that passage from the Old Testament. In Isaiah and th there was nobody there was no answer God as far as God is concerned nobody could counsel with him because nobody was there but God and 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 God hadn't revealed why he did what he did but guess what he has with us he has revealed that and of course the rest of the verse says but we have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? God, the Father's eternal purpose. So if we have the mind of Christ, that means, yeah, God is allowing us into the thoughts, motives, and intents of his heart. He is allowing us into those areas where he was not allowing others into. He has, God is transparent with us. I mean, we, we read right over it in the scriptures. We could go to Romans chapter 3. I love it when I read this. Romans 3. I think it's verse 24 and 25. Here, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Now there it is. Why does God have to do that? Why does, he have to, why does he have to demonstrate anything? He doesn't. He could, he's God. And what are we when it comes to God? That's what the psalmist said. What is man? That God should even think about us. But God has. And he has thought hard and long about us, obviously, because he has an eternal purpose that revolves around bringing many sons into glory. Verse 26, he did it 
to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So again, we have God demonstrating. You know what? When somebody's explaining themselves to you, they care about you. They don't, if you don't care, you don't even care to explain yourself. You don't even care if the person believes whatever they want to believe. But God is saying, I care. Let me, let me tell you about what's really on my mind. So we're going to have to continue in our notes. We, only, we didn't get too far. And point number two. So what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known? So, so this is point A. Since God has an eternal purpose that was hidden until Pentecost, there must be ways for God to advertise the results. So I have uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 9 in here. So we're going to look at that. But So he did it to make, he did this to make his, what if he did it? Well, he did it, right? He did this to make his riches of his glory, the riches of his glory known. And we're going to get to the rest of the verse. But when we think about what he's saying here, since God has the eternal purpose, it was hidden until Pentecost. He did, this, we're talking about the mystery, which was not revealed to anybody prior to Pentecost. Well, it was introduced by the Lord, as we read in John. Right? This is where we're on on Sundays. He's dealing with the introduction and uh, trying to level set for the disciples a little bit. So God is, not only did he plan all this, but he must have a way. He must have a means by which he lets everybody know this information. And so Ephesians 3, 8 and 9 talk to that. Paul says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. Now when he's talking about this grace, he's not just talking about salvation grace if you look at the context it was about the mystery made known to me by revelation then he even explains briefly what the mystery of mystery is that through the gospel he continues so when he's saying in verse 8 7 and 8 although i am less than the least of all the lord's people this grace this grace is a reference to uh this new information that is now revealed. It's given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. What, what a clear goal that Paul has. He didn't say, you know, he got this position so that he could magnify the law, the Mosaic law, or anything. He, he, here's the goal right here. In a nutshell, he's given you what God called him to be an apostle to do and literally he says it straight up and then in verse 9 he says and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things imagine that the, the message that we have is certainly just like it's described in 1 Corinthians 2 what God the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us what eye has not seen ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those of us who love him. 
So we have this information. And God is telling us, through the Apostle Paul, that our objective is, is this as well, to make it plain to everyone. And then we have these verses that are following. And all the verses in the rest of Ephesians go in a direction that I would consider the deep things of God. All of this is the deep things of God. And to really have that understanding, it takes spiritual growth in order to get there. In fact, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 says that uh, this is for the mature. So, understanding it, feasting on it, loving it, right, is a part of growing up, right? It's, babies understand certain things, yes, uh, but this is where the meat comes in. The more you can know on this meat, the, the more um, God is able to tell you what his heart is. So we do, we, we do that as well. We talk down to babies, right? I know I go visit my grandkids. Can't have all the conversations I want to have with them. You know what I have to do? I have to talk to them on the level of understanding that they have. And that's what God does for us. But the more we understand, the more God is able to reveal to us, which that is, that is the goal, that we want to know it. I want to know him. So anyway, um, let's move on. So that was Ephesians. Point B, the riches of his glory. Okay, so that, that phrase, God's description of his eternal purpose, right? When, when we say the riches of his glory, that is God's eternal purpose. That, that's what Paul is saying, to make known the riches of his glory. Well, he did it to make known the riches of his glory. All of it ultimately is for that purpose. Uh, so note, these are the words he uses to describe it. Boundless, and these are some of the ways that God's eternal purpose is described. The boundless riches of Christ. We already saw riches of his glory. Now we have boundless riches of Christ. That's Ephesians 3, 3 and 8. And that word boundless means can't ever get to the bottom of it. You can't plumb the depths of this of this wealth. It is literally you are not able to calculate it or to measure it. It is boundless, unsearchable. Another translation has unsearchable riches. That's Ephesians three eight, and he's talking about God's eternal purpose or riches of his glorious inheritance. That's what he says in Ephesians 1.18. He's talking about the same thing. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Well, glorious is in almost all of these, but that should speak to the satisfaction of God's eternal purpose, the glory that results in God executing his plan. And then uh, his incomparably great power for us who believe. In other words, there's nothing to compare right, with what God has allowed us to have in terms of this power. So not only is it spoken of in terms of riches and glorious inheritance, but it is also 
power that cannot be compared in any other way for us who believe. And that's in this particular age because it wasn't revealed in any other age. That's in Ephesians 1.19. And then the, rich, the glorious riches of this mystery. In other words, so it also employs the word mystery along with, if we weren't sure what we were talking about, so again, we're talking about riches. Now, riches is wealth. And, and we have to see this as um, divine wealth. So, but this always glorious riches, right? Riches of his inheritance. And then it says, which is Christ in you. That's uh, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. So the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. And the hope here doesn't mean, I hope I get it, I hope this is real. The hope means absolute confidence that this is what we have. And, and the, what do we have? The glorious riches of this mystery. What is it? It is Christ in you. So it is the fact that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the result of the baptism of the Spirit. And what is the fact that we who have been baptized by the Spirit? The hope of glory. The absolute confidence that we will have glory. The glory that is spoken of here. This glorious riches. We have to, we have to see this. I mean, the, the, I didn't make these words up. These are words found in the Bible. But for some reason, people only attach these words to salvation. They go so much further beyond what salvation is. Point C. Remember, these declarations are not about salvation, but about God's intentions with some of those who are saved. And when I say some who are saved... It's not everybody. It's not one just lump of people that are saved. And God says, okay, everybody, come on in. I got harps for everybody. I got clouds that you can sit on. Nope, nothing like that. We have an eternal inheritance, as Peter says, that cannot be corrupted or no rust can, can corrode it. It is literally reserved in heaven for us. It is the fact that we are heavenly beings now. So they're not about salvation. And this mystery is only revealed after Pentecost. So only people who are baptized. Baptism of the Spirit didn't come, not even to the disciples, until after Pentecost. They may have been learning a couple things here and there, like Christ was setting the stage, but they didn't get the baptism of the Spirit until Pentecost. No one had the baptism of the Spirit until Pentecost. So there, these things have nothing to do with salvation, and only some people receive this. And he talks about we're chosen. He chose us. So Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 does deal with that. I'll read it. And I know we're getting down to time, which is fine. We, it's better that we take our time. Ephesians 2.6 says, well, first, it talks about us being de dead in our transgressions and sins. And 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Notice, made us alive with Christ. See, so the baptism of the Spirit is simultaneous with salvation. Now, it wasn't for those who first received it, because people who were living in this period where Pentecost was, was uh, on its way, so, for instance, Peter, James, John, all the disciples right, that Jesus was talking to, they were saved, but they didn't have the baptism of the Spirit until Pentecost. So now, after, whenever someone is saved, they are automatically baptized by one Spirit into one body. We were all baptized by one Spirit and one body, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So, here, here, 6, right? So it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So imagine that. So Christ ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of the Father, the place of highest honor. That's what the right hand means. And so he says, uh, we are also raised up with him and seated. This is upon our salvation. The moment we are saved, this is what positionally we are. I know your feet are still on the ground. I get that. But you now have a seat, a place where you belong. And it's not just some corner in heaven, but you are at the place in heaven of highest honor. Look at this. And God raised us up with Christ. So we're, that's where we are, with him. And you could, you could assess and say, well, where is he? What, what, what is where he is? What does that look like? And then you could think about whatever that is, is what you have. In fact, it, it goes right along with Christ saying. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where was he going? To the Father's house. So the place didn't exist at that time, but he went there to prepare it. Now you can see that people who are saved in this age, where do they have a place now? Where are they positioned? In the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. Now, verse 6 all by itself is profound. Because it talks about our position. Where we fit. Verse 7, in order that, so that, because of, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We already said we didn't do anything. What did we do? Well, we were lost, dead in our transgressions and sins. I'm not going to go over the whole thing again. And then... Upon our faith in Christ, right, and we know that from 8, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. You don't get saved if, it's, if you don't have faith in Christ. It is through faith. But back to verse 7, in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We didn't earn any of this. We don't deserve any of this. We didn't work up to any of this. He, the moment you believed, you were seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the coming ages here, he might show again. We're talking about God demonstrating something. He might demonstrate. What is he going to demonstrate? The incomparable riches of his grace. What is that? That is God's eternal purpose. So, we're, we're beginning to see a different picture about who God is, what he wants to reveal, and how he's going about it. And, and these verses are very telling about what God's intentions are, what he's going to do. So that this, he did this so that in the coming ages he might demonstrate or show his eternal purpose. And how does he show his eternal purpose? Through what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. His expressed, shown in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember, in Christ Jesus didn't even exist prior to Pentecost. But now it does. And now, because this exists... Uh, this is a place now. This is part of God's economy. This is who we are in Christ now. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new spiritual creation. So, we're going to have to stop here because if we keep going, I guess we, we'll run into much more time. But enough for us to stop and think about some of the things that we covered. Uh, there's much more that we can talk about next week. We'll take our time. Because when he starts talking about making his riches known, uh, riches of his glory to the objects of mercy, we'll have to talk about that in more detail. Because it's kind of, these are summation statements that he's hoping that you think with him on these things. He's put it together already in the context, but now he wants you to begin to think, can you do that with him? And this later down, I said this is like a test question, but we'll we'll get to it uh, as we go next week. But we won't persist because the time is gone. But hopefully, you get a chance to see God as an individual and how we can literally fellowship with Him in the Word. Let's bow our heads as we close. Father, thank you for the privilege of being who we are in Christ. We thank you for your bold vision to be able to create creatures that have free will, that are like you, that have the opportunity of fellowship with you. We thank you that we have this ability and that we're here experiencing it and coming to know who you are even better. We thank you for those who are on this call. We pray for wisdom for each person. We pray that each of us will have the humility 
to want to know God more, to want to come to know him better, as it says, that we may we will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we will know him better. We pray that this is uh, will be our choice to come to know you, Father, that you would reveal yourself as you have through the spirit of truth and your word and the word of truth. Thank you so much for preserving it in 2021. So we pray as we close that we will continue uh, with this opportunity, this church that we have, where we can come openly discuss your word, no holds barred. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.